Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. Welcome to Dischem Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. Welcome to 101.95. Today we are very lucky to have an old friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Daniel Israel, very well-known general practitioner in our community. We're very, very lucky to have him in general and on on the show. And uh, he's probably had sleepless days and nights with the amount of people contact him him about uh, Corona. And I think it's uh, what well, this was, show was suggested by him, and I think it's very, very important to inform the community what how, uh, behavior you should be having with regarding to going to GPs and general practice. And uh, Daniel, thank you very much for coming on our show today. Thanks for having me, Dean. Nice to be with you. Good. So as as we know, this uh, whole world has been turned upside down. I know in my practice, certainly people are scared to go to the doctor because, A, they don't want to get sick, and B, a lot of people aren't getting sick because they aren't uh, mixing, especially uh, kids at schools are not seeing all the winter viruses and, and illnesses. But this can be problematic because people aren't visiting the doctor, maybe some people with chronic illnesses or they really do need to go to the doctor and they're too scared of presenting late. So there's a whole range of uh, issues we're going to talk about. Daniel Israel, Daniel, how is your practice? Yeah, so, 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 Dean, let's start off by saying that I think my practice is quite representative of the GPs, certainly in the northern areas of Joburg, but probably even wider than that. In general, um, I'm blessed to be involved in a collaboration of GPs. Um, it's become very wide, maybe more than 150 GPs or so. So I'm going to try and put across the trends that I've seen both in my practice, but also in that all of us are seeing. So at the beginning of, of this COVID period, the, the COVID was met by a flood of anxiety in our community. Um, Obviously, as it, as it is, even the non-medical areas in life being faced with this huge amount of lifestyle change and impending fear, I mean, impending um, threat, we it was, it was met by fear, and our room saw a huge influx of of, of people, both um, physically coming in and phoning in, with you know questions like, you know, do I could I have COVID? How will I know? What must I do? And I think all the GPs were kind of run off their feet initially. Um, then we hit lockdown five, where rightfully we put out this message to the public as a society, stay home, save lives, um, and almost all the GP practices really became um, de- like a desert, which 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 is has been a blessing in many ways because we haven't had people a sick and b sick on top of each other. But as the time has gone by, we've noticed that. Um, we're getting people, as you said, presenting late with problems who needed to be seen earlier. And also, you know, from lockdown five, there wasn't a, there weren't a lot of guidelines at that point, and there certainly was a shortage of PPE in terms of how to protect rooms and keep, keep, keep people safe. Now that we have protocols and that we full, um, kitted out with PPE and measures and et cetera, um, we, we really have seen that we don't believe that doctor's room, so to speak, are a high place of infection uh, at all. 
Um, and now we're trying to encourage people to really just, you know, look after their health and not introduce a bigger risk than the risk of, of, of COVID in, a, in general. Okay, we're going to take our first short ad break and afterwards we'll carry on talking to Dr. Daniel Israel. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back, Dr. Daniel Israel. Do you want to carry on telling us about your practice in the rooms? You said that initially you saw a massive flood of people followed by a very big time of being quiet. I mean, my our rooms are extremely quiet. One of my benefits, thank God, um, outside the hospital across the street and uh, I'm still very quiet I know a lot of people don't want to go into hospitals I've had people coming from Sunning Hill and Morningstar because nobody wants to actually go to the doctors in the hospitals even when they are sick yeah so um, we, we pick up from where we were so um, we, we've seen recently in the last few weeks that the rumors have become busier again um, Busier and controlled. I mean, we don't have people on top of each other, and, and I think that all the GPs have put in, you know, even long ago, put in all the, rec- the required measures. Um, and, and we're finding that people are coming to a better balance in terms of, um, you know, not being irrationally scared of going to see their doctors. Um, I, what's interesting, just on a personal level, is that I, I, we have had in my very practice cases where we've had, had to make quite a few hospital admissions where had the patient presented earlier um, we certainly could have um, you know, prevented that. We've admitted cellulitis which could have been done with oral antibiotics and they ended up with IV antibiotics. Um, patients in renal failure that could have been prevented earlier. Um, chest infections, non-COVID related that could have been treated. So you know, I think it's an important um, there's, a, there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of misinformation out there. And, and I think it's important that everyone in this community has a general practitioner that they can um, call on at this time. And, 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 and general practitioners have and should make themselves available to patients beyond just formal in-room consultations where, where a patient can phone up the doctor and say, or, or at least make a telephone consult and, and say, um, you know, my throat is sore, my ear is sore. Should I be worried about COVID? Um, if I should, what must I do? If I shouldn't, what must I do? Because it's hard for a patient to navigate that type of um, way up and that type of risk analysis on their own. So, Daniel, are you finding a, lot, a patient, you are getting a lot more of these telephone consults or people, you're spending a lot more time on phone discussing things with people because, I mean, there's a huge massive amount of anxiety, as you said before, just with the unknown. People don't know, am I being too careful? Am I not being careful enough? And uh, I'm worried. So, I mean, I've, I've seen, yeah, people phoning in, not sure what to do. So how do you go about it? What do you do? Do people phone your rooms and then you get back to them? Or have you set up a portal? You're using the discovery yeah. portal. So, what do you do? Okay. Okay. So, so there has been a huge uptake in telephone consults all around. Unfortunately, we are, as a group of GPs, you know, talking to and negotiating with the medical aides because it isn't always an easy process. Discovery has its own platform that it believes is superior clinically. Um, whether it is or isn't is still to be, you know, told. But the point is that discovery patients are meant to book through Doctor Connect, which is their discovery portal. There are some technical issues with Discovery Connect that some of the doctors are really struggling with. 
So the other option that exists is a normal telephone consult. And we're finding that a lot of the doctors are doing WhatsApp um, video and call consults, Zoom consults, you know, any other platform. Um, the, the, the negotiations and difficulties are around the remuneration to doctors. But at least from a patient perspective, you know, that, that, that shouldn't, as far as I'm concerned, that shouldn't be the consideration of the patient. The, the, the patient's role at the moment is to interact with their doctor when necessary, and the doctor's role is to support the patient, and we, we'll, take, we'll deal with the medical aid. Um, so how it works in my practice is that, is, I mean, sure, my phone is flooded with WhatsApps all the time, and I do my best. I mean, my wife's ready to kick me out for my two hours a day of WhatsApping. Um, as probably yeah, we have, I have this, as the same, and I think yeah, it's a very that's another difficult thing, kind of uh, setting boundaries and uh, limits, yeah. and how, uh, every doctor struggles with having your family and your work life. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so we, so I work very hard at trying to just be available for people even on WhatsApp as as they require. Um, what we have put in though, which we find works much better in terms of just structuring the time and making sure that we give people proper attention is a is a telephone consult. So so I mean my bookings are done online through my Facebook page and you know a patient can click on there and click on if they want a video or a telephone consult and it's it's integrated into our diary and then they get a proper time when they're not going to have to just wait endlessly to to, to speak to the doctor. And, and we're finding that we've helped a lot of patients. Dean let's look at COVID a bit. Um Okay, great. I don't. I, I I haven't looked at our practice numbers today, but in the last couple of days, I'd say we've dealt with about 20 patients in our practice alone with COVID in the last few weeks, and obviously it's now rising by the day. Look, now now it's exponentially rising. But the, of those patients, the vast majority of them have been dealt with on the phone from the beginning. So they're not patients who are just waltzing through the rooms. Even if they did, they would be safe in terms of protocol. But we deal with them on the phone and we monitor them. Um, on a da- I am monitoring positive patients on a daily basis at home we, we speak, with the help of Hatsola where it's in the Jewish community and when it's not in the Jewish community just of their own accord um, you know, following their, sta- their sets their vital signs their symptoms, how they're feeling and, and that's a very, very important role for general practitioners to play over this pandemic remember that, just to remind our, our, our listeners that the vast majority of COVID patients will not require hospitalization and um, they really can will get through it on their own at home. The important thing is to monitor them and to identify early patients who may be deteriorating so that we can implement measures there where necessary. And there is no better person, in my opinion, to do that than the patient's GP. They know the patient and they understand how the disease works. Okay, we're going to take another short ad break and maybe when we come back we can talk about mild and moderate COVID and managing it at home. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. We're speaking to Dr. Daniel Israel and we're speaking to him about all things COVID and the general practitioner's role in managing patients with COVID as well as his experiences. So, Daniel, we're talking about you seeing a lot of patients, uh, well, the vast majority of patients are going to be managed at home with mild or moderate of COVID. What would uh, indicate that a patient who is being managed at home 
uh, should be going to hospital and uh, what type of symptoms would they be experiencing? Okay, so um, most of us hopefully now are familiar with what the presenting symptoms are of COVID. Um, and the interesting thing, Dean, and I'm sure you've seen this in your own practice, is is this amorphous presentation of COVID, which is which is really quite unique compared to the average virus that we see. Um, we've had patients in our practice with sore throats, not many, but who then end up being COVID positive. And we've had patients in our practice who have the typical symptoms of um, a dry cough and a fever and body aches, and they're COVID positive. And, and really, at the outset, one would think of those are two different conditions, but in, in effect, well, in reality, they aren't. Um, so the important thing is to is first do the diagnosis, and thankfully we're in an environment where although we have limited resources, we as a, as a society, you know, we do have swabbing available. And the important thing for a patient is if they if they think they may have COVID, um, not to panic, to isolate themselves, and then after discussing this with their GP or or relevant specialist dealing with them at the time that they go and have a test. If that test becomes positive, um, then there are a few steps they have to take. The first step is they have to continue to isolate themselves. There's a huge social responsibility with COVID. We we know that patients with comorbidities in the elderly are at higher risk of complications, but we also know that COVID in reality does affect some young people, so you know significantly. So it's not about having an attitude. I'm look, I'm young and I'm fine, so therefore I'll just ignore it. One has to be precautious and 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 isolate. That's that's number one. Number two is then to begin the process with your doctor of self monitoring. Um, self monitoring. We, we look at certain vital measurements as being the key factors as to whether a patient's doing well. And the most important one is probably their saturations because we know that by, by and large the, the biggest complication of COVID is a pneumonia or inflammatory response in the chest. And we, we watch, we, we monitor patient saturations regularly. So a patient who's got mild symptoms are doing well might need to check their saturations twice a day. Whereas a patient who's not feeling so good, we might do that more often. Just so our listeners know, like, how do you measure saturation? So there's a, there's a nifty little device called the SATS monitor. Um, it, it clips onto your finger or onto your earlobe, depending on your age. And it can, it will tell you that what, what is the saturation of your, or, 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 what the, your oxygen saturation levels are in your blood. We're looking to keep all people's normal is between, say, 95 and 99. And we're happy with saturations above 90% that are consistently there. But if we find that a patient is reporting to us saturations that are dropping below 90 more than once with with errors removed, then we are concerned that they perhaps are deteriorating and then we can put other measures into place. Um, We also monitor heart rate. Um, And that's normal. I mean, Dean, you know, it's normal for any um, infection that a patient has influenza, colds, flus, to, to, to get a bit tachycardic, especially sure. with fever. Fast heart rate, um, yeah. But, but, but if, you know, so a fast, sorry, a fast heart rate, that's tachycardia, that remains persistently tachycardic is a sign that the patient is still actively infected and, and, and needs closer watching, as does an ongoing temperature. So those three, those three 
um, measurables plus how the patient's feeling are the, are the things that we watch to make sure that the patient is mild to moderate. Okay, and uh, so what would be the process then if you're worried about a patient? What do you do? You send them through casualty? Do you phone the doctors straight away? Um, what is your process then of getting a, a query positive, a positive patient who needs a hospitalization? How do you get them to the so, hospital? So again, another advantage of working through your GP is that, you know, most of the GPs work with specialists to deal with these things. So what, what we would do in our practice certainly is discuss it with one of the physicians, infectious disease or pulmonologists on, who are dealing with COVID. And then we would consider, we would send the patient to hospital. But, um, most of the hospitals are doing this through their casualties because again, we don't want people like waltzing through hospitals and spreading shedding virus to other people there. So they would need to be screened, go into a special stream, and then they would be looked after. But to do that unnecessarily would be terrible, and to do that unsafely would be terrible. So so we directly speak to the physicians and then send the patients on if necessary. Sure, especially if they confirm positive, I imagine they'll go straight to the COVID ward because just the way that a lot of the places are running, no matter what you get... Uh, admitted for, you have to have a COVID test when you come in, you get put in a ward called PUR or patients under investigation and then uh, if you're positive you go into the COVID ward, if you're negative you go into a, a non-COVID ward so um, I imagine that the positive patients will go straight to the the COVID wards um, so what do, you, what do you advise for people neglecting their chronic conditions I know you treat a lot of uh, patients with diabetics and other chronic conditions should they still be going for their regular checkups if they are fine and asymptomatic? Yes, absolutely. So, so Dean, I, I think that as South Africans at the moment, we are faced often with a risk-benefit decision in this COVID time. So, so, so just to explain to our listeners what I'm talking about, there's a risk going outside your door about getting COVID. It might be an illogical risk if you're not around other people, but everything in life involves some type of risk. If you cross the road, there's a risk. If you go out, there's a risk. Okay, But those risks can be quite minimal. They may be higher at the moment in terms of COVID um, because we know that we're in a pandemic and we're in the upsurge of the pandemic. However, for patients who have chronic conditions, the risks of neglecting the chronic conditions are much higher than the risks of, of, of going out or going to your doctor especially if your doctor is doing the things that he or she is meant to be doing to, to protect the patients. Um, so, so, so what we've seen in our practice, and we've been quite um, you know, proactive at encouraging our chronic patients to remain involved, as has other doctors and discoveries even in the process of looking at different ways of promoting this at the moment, um, is that you know, it's more important to make sure if you're diabetic that your HbA1c is checked that your cholesterol remains intact, that if you're hypertensive and you run out of medication, that you take your medication, and that in in other in other in, in other disease entities like HIV and TB, that if you're on ARVs, that you continue taking your ARVs, and that TB con- to pr- medication continues, then saying, no, I, I think I'll neglect these things for now because I've been okay for the last few years and I've worried about COVID. There's no doubt in my mind that as a whole, if we adopt the second attitude, we will end up with far more morbidity and mortality than if we um, encourage patients to engage and rely on the responsibilities of doctors to keep them safely engaged. 
So another thing they've just uh, seen or read about is that uh, they're worried about people missing immunizations or vaccinations for children because uh, people are worried to go out because of COVID. And they say that if, if this is so, especially now, uh, more poorer rural communities, that the effect of missing those vaccinations will be worse than the actual effects of COVID virus. So obviously we want people still to be taking their children for their regular vaccinations and immunizations. Absolutely. I mean, if you, but even in our community, um, where, you know, what, well, the point I want to drive home here for our listeners is that this applies even to our normal general problems. In other words, if your child has a sore ear, talk about something to do that, that, that Dean is a expert on the CFA agrees with me. Um, if a child has a sore ear and he neglects it, and normally after on day two he would go to his GP or his ENT and have it seen, and he neglects it, and then the next he leaves it more days, and it gets worse and worse because we don't want to take the children out because of COVID. You have a much greater chance of having a perforated eardrum or complications in that ear that could have been prevented. So sure. as long as our doctors are being safe, you should be taking your child to the doctor for that. Sure, I think, um, and as I've tried to stress with my practice, I don't know what you're doing in yours, that uh, you know, no one's actually waiting in my waiting rooms. They're waiting in their cars and we call in with their time. Not everybody's obviously able to do that, but there are safe uh, protocols and ways to go to to your doctors, especially your GPs, because there's no one more who wants you healthy than than your doctors, because I guess that's what they that they do. So um, I've been seeing a lot of patients with anxiety, huge anxiety. What can GPs do to help reduce the and manage patients' anxiety during this time? So I think it's important to differentiate between acute anxiety that's driven by the by current circumstances and long-term anxiety that perhaps is exacerbated by the circumstances. I mean, and, and there is a distinction there. In other words, there, there are people who are very functional and not, and not struggling from anxiety and at the moment have been cooped up in a small space with small kids who are who are who are difficult to manage and trying to earn an income where it's difficult, etc. Might, for example, might make a patient very anxious. That patient is not necessarily a chronic anxiety sufferer or general anxiety disorder, and that patient um, we would adopt a certain approach to. Um, contrast that against a patient who always suffers from anxiety. Perhaps she's not on top of their long-term anxiety management and has managed to just get by. And now that they're in a stressful time, this anxiety has has really come to the fore. Um, maybe we should talk about the differences between those two and how we approach them. Sure, go for it. Go, go straight into it. Okay. All right, great. Um, so, so in the former group, um, we we would we, we we would recommend the appropriate psychosocial interventions that would help a patient to a get more social support, b maybe speak to a psychologist or counselor to help them in terms of their stress response to what's going on, um, and, and that's you know GPs play that role too in terms of just helping families to navigate where the roots of the problems are. I have patients who come with these kind of problems. We just sometimes discuss where the problems are coming from, and we put in non-medical or non-pharmacological measures to try and manage the anxiety. In other words, um, you know, limiting kids' screen time or sometimes even increasing a bit of kids' screen time if it's going to give the mother a break in the afternoon or whatever it is. And we found that when we put in these type of measures, we we managed to 
um, solve the problem. A week or two later, the patient, the patient says, become really managing much better. More often than that, though, in my practice, I am having people who are coming and saying, look, I'm normally fine, but I can't sleep. I'm so worried. Um, my business is under stress. I, you know, that, that's not a chronic anxiety sufferer, but it's someone who's really taking acute stress. Now, there is a place for tranquilizers and benzodiazepines in a very short-term controlled um, measure to help patients like that. So if a patient has acutely gone through a crisis where they've been, their salary's been halved or whatever the situation is, and they need a few days to just try and get themselves back into a better sleeping rhythm and a coping space mentally, we may prescribe for them something like an anxiolytic that will make them acutely feel better as soon as they take it. And as long as we measure it and control it time-wise, um, it shouldn't have, it won't have any long-term effects. Um, then, moving on to the second arm of what I was talking to you, when a patient comes and we feel as though they're struggling with anxiety as a whole, and this has just brought it to the fore, it's an important space for a doctor then to intervene, whether it's a general practitioner or a psychiatrist, to say that, you know, these are signs that this patient is struggling from depression or anxiety, and there are a lot of medications out there on the market, as our listeners know, that are not addictive, not bad for you in the long run, and will make a big difference in terms of your overall state of mind. However, they take time. They need to be taken for a while. You need to develop an equilibrium to them, and they don't things that you take when needed. You take them every day, and they need to be monitored. So, so those are the general approaches. Okay, and uh, yeah, I, I guess a GP is going to be a big part of that psychosocial support and dealing with a lot of patients with uh, anxiety and. There's so many different types of anxieties we're seeing now just because there's so many different stresses, whether it's the fear of the actual disease itself, the change in lifestyle, staying home and kids and school and and works and uh, work situation. It's uh, I, I can imagine you must be uh, on the phone 24-7. So, I think we're uh, seeing more anxiety yeah. than, than other cases. At the moment, probably as much, I should say. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Uh, throughout the lockdown, I was getting calls of patients with uh, hearing things, buzzing, ringing in their ears, which called tinnitus. And a lot of pe- often very common people with uh, anxiety present with uh, tinnitus, hearing their heartbeat in their ears. And it was uh, unbelievable just to see the, ups- uh, the upsurge uh, in it during this time. So what are the GP inputs into patients into modifying the patient behavior to prevent uh, COVID? What are you doing uh, for the community or what are you advising? So, Dina, I'll start at the probably now and I'll move backwards. So so we've been very concerned, I I certainly have, about um, lockdown fatigue and the fact that now that the countries out of necessity is needing to drop the level of lockdown how it may be misinterpreted by patients as as you know kind of like we've locked down appropriately initially and now we a little bit freer to socially interact um what what we really have found recently is is and i believe that the 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 biggest vector or place where this virus is, is infecting our community is in our homes and and behind closed doors, because you know there's you can't see a COVID positive patient as we know. We can't see an asymptomatic carrier, and you can't even see someone who might be mildly have symptoms because they just seem like they have a little ill. So when someone comes to you 
who's part of your extended family or friend circle and says, look, I've been really careful. I'd love to just come over for tea. Then um, we've, we, we were finding in the community that people were openly accepting that, uh, w- w- trying to be responsible and having trust that that was okay. But yet when someone presented then with COVID and we traced back, and we've done this in my practice quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, we then found that there were actually 20 people who were exposed to that person. And obviously there was no intention on their part, but you know, this, this is, this is a disease that catches people with their pants down. Do you know what I mean? So, so, so that's, um, where, where, where we, we really have at the moment for our biggest responsibility is to try and help people understand that we, we want them to remain socially engaged. Sure. We're not suggesting that people should be left alone or, 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 and especially people who are depressed or anxious that they abandoned and isolated socially. But it's so, so important for GPs to promote at the moment that um, families cannot just trust an open outer circle. Um, you know, I, when, if, if I've seen my father in the last couple of months, for example, who's in his 70s, I've seen him at a distance with a mask in a non-closed area to... Now give him something or whatever it is. That, that, that is what is like those kind of measures have to be put in at home too. So, so, so that's what we're doing on from the message we're driving on a communal perspective. Um, in terms of the basics, I mean, I still believe that people need to be educated about the basics. We, and, and we do that too. So, so patients are, um, you know, staying in their homes and the other extreme keep remaining behind closed doors and making sure that they sterilize their Things and wash their hands 20 times a day. That is completely illogical. Um, COVID cannot come through the air over the wall, and all we land up is with dermatitis on their hands and having to deal with that. <laughs> so um, we are trying hard to help people to understand the importance of sanitizing, social distancing, and mask wearing logically. Um, yeah, and then and then the third thing is probably just contact management. Most of the patients that are questions I'm getting at the moment are, I came into contact with so-and-so who was in contact with a positive patient, what must I do? And we're helping people to try and manage that type of question in terms of what is a risk and what isn't. Okay, we're going to take another short ad break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about maybe contacts, primary contracts, secondary contracts, because it's going to happen to all of us eventually that we come into contact with anyone. Let's take a short ad break. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. We're speaking to Dr. Daniel Israel. And we are talking about COVID and the community and COVID and GP practice. We were speaking about contacts. Uh, it's probably going to happen to most of us, and especially now that people are uh, sending kids to school, that uh, so-and-so's father has COVID and their son came to school. So-and-so went uh, to the shops and they saw so-and-so who also had COVID. So what, can you maybe speak, Dan, just about uh, primary contracts and secondary contracts and how we should maybe manage uh, these situations? Sure, Dean. So I think the important starting point here is to work out what, to, to, to understand what is a contact. Um, we've seen these messages going around WhatsApp and where people are, there was someone with COVID at Nord Mall, um, stay away from the area. I, I, I mean, I work out of 
near the Bluebird Shopping Centre, and I, out of the Bluebird Shopping Centre, and I remember um, when there was a case at Discam there months ago, I don't know, it must be six, seven, eight weeks ago now, um, how people would be a bit reticent to drive past Bluebird because, you know, don't go to that area, there's COVID. That, that is not a concept. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it sounds like it's totally obvious, but it's important because when there's fear, there's there's, there's lack of logic. So I, I think it's important to understand that a contact is when someone is in contact, well, close to someone else at a distance of 1.5 or 1.8, or let's call it two meters, okay, um, for a period of 15 minutes or more. And the interesting part is whether one says wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Because the World Health Organization has not included mask wearing as the, as the, um, differentiating factors to whether something is or isn't a contact. But remember that the evidence has only come out in recent months showing that mask wearing makes a difference. So that still may change as time goes by. But nevertheless, just from an on-the-ground perspective, so if, if you've been in contact with someone where you spent a time with them in a closed area or you were close to them and you weren't both wearing surgically sealed, excellent masks. And, you know, there was some doubt about that. Even if you were, and it was, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't good ventilation. And that's considered a contact. Um, if you went to Kosher World and stood across the parking lot and said hi to someone and came a bit up to them for a minute and you were two meters away and walked away and you're both wearing masks, I would not consider that a contact. So it's important that. Otherwise, as you hear that somebody's COVID positive, it will lock down huge chunks of society, probably unnecessarily. But again, each case has to be taken on its own merit, and it's important that, therefore, to discuss it with, it with your doctor so that he or she may guide you to understand whether or not you have, in fact, been in contact. So th- though that's, that's a primary contact. That's what, that's what Dr. Dean's talking about, a primary contact, because if you've been in contact with someone, real contact with someone who has COVID, you are a primary contact. Now, if you are a primary contact, the steps you need to take is you need to go and quarantine. In other words, remove yourself from other people for 14 days. Biggest question I'm probably being asked at the moment is, do I need to go and test? I want to go and test. I was in contact with someone yesterday. Can I go and test and where? The answer to that is no. We don't go and test that for, for a couple of reasons. The one reason is that we know with COVID, that it takes a few days for the virus to incubate and for the viral load and shedding to increase. So unless it's been seven to eight days since you've been in contact with someone, there is no point in going and doing a test because you are likely to get a false negative and then you won't know whether or not to trust the result. Um, that That is the guideline. So the guideline is to stay home, to quarantine yourself, the next most common question I'm being asked is, for how long? So the answer to that is 14 days. Now, we've seen different, you know, articles over the months, and as this whole pandemic started, saying seven days, eight days, 21 days, 14 days. 14 days is the, is the internationally accepted time. We know that COVID is not fully contagious for the full 14 days. We need a buffer at the end of it. But 14 days is absolutely mandatory to make sure that the patient is out of the time that they could be, or the contact is out of the time that they could be infectious. Um, what's important to understand as well is that pa- patients ask, well, if I stay at home for seven days and then I do a test and my test is negative, 
can I then say I don't have COVID, I waited the seven days, and I can go out into the community and I'm fine? And the answer to that is no, because we know that 80% of cases will be out by the seven days, 70 to 80%, but there is still a significant proportion of cases that will only show the PCR of the virus at a later, at that later stage. So we've had a patient in our practice who was exposed to someone who worked for him. She was found to be COVID positive. He stayed at home for a while and then did a test of his own accord. The test was negative. He went back into his community. Well, he wasn't irresponsible at all, but he was in the community. And then when he did a pre-screening test for something else, he landed up with a positive result, which showed that he most likely became positive later. So 14 days for all primary contacts. Um, would you like to, Dean, do you want to speak about secondary contacts now as well? Yes, please. I think so. I think carry on the secondary contacts. Okay. So just, just for our listeners, what is a secondary contact? A secondary contact is someone who's come in contact with a contact. So you, you're getting questions at the schools and, um, you know, person X was in contact with person Y whose father has COVID. What should they do? So the, at, at the moment in society as a whole, the, 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 the approach that medical practitioners have, have taken to this, and this is a think internationally, is to not go and quarantine secondary contact because, unfortunately, this is so rampant that everybody probably would be quarantining, but not only that, but uh, there's no reason to believe that if the right social distancing was put in place, that someone who was in contact with someone who was in contact with a positive patient is at risk. So we do not quarantine secondary contact. But we do tell them that if they get any respiratory symptoms whatsoever, then they need to quarantine themselves, see if it develops, and then consider testing. Um, what's important, just something to note here, is that we do have certain organizations that are trying to be super careful and just put in extra measures to try and make sure that they, that not that they're ultra safe, because they'd be safe anyway, but that there's no doubt as to who's a primary contact, who's a secondary contact. And you may find an organization where they have said that secondary contacts may also not come into the school, workplace, shop, whatever it is. Um, and that's okay. I mean, you know, you, you can't be too safe. But we've got to look at something that is um, reliable and that's something that we feel is a necessary measure, not something that is just an emotionally driven um, principle. Okay. Very difficult. Yeah. So I think each case needs to be taken in its uh, own merit and discussed with your GP or with your doctors or each school should have a team, hopefully, of some volunteers that would discuss each break because I imagine that's where each uh, patient because I imagine that's where a lot of um, the contacts are going to be. All right, we're going to take another short ad break and we'll be back with Dr. Daniel Israel. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to our final few minutes of this game, Medical Monday. Had a great show. It's flown by. We're talking to Dr. Daniel Israel, well-known general practitioner and voice of COVID in our in our community. And uh, Dan, I'm sure you feel the same or have your own feelings that uh, this disease has affected uh, doctors dramatically as well. Personally, I've you know uh, you go through the anxiety and fear of you yourself or one of your family members getting it. 
And then we've seen how it's rocked our practices, thinking, you know, that doctors will always be busy and your practices will always be open to kind of uh, halving or quartering what uh, of patients we see. How's it affected you on a, on a personal level? Um, yeah, so that's, that's the personal question, Dean. So I, I think that, um, we, we've seen, we've spoken about how it's affected the practice. Um, thankfully the practice is still doing well. Um, and we, we feel like we're offering a really vital role in terms of helping people. And thank, thankfully we're able to do that. Um, yeah, th- this question, um, plays on re- real, you know, personal questions of risk and risk aversion and, I think how doctors see themselves in what their role is in the world. Um, you know, certainly there's always been some risk in being a doctor. I mean, I, I remember the days even when Dean was, I think, I think Dean was still at medical school and I was in internship for MO time. And, you know, I, I remember Dean being around, you know, around the wards and how we used to like wear, wear, then wear masks and gloves and so against TV patients. And so, so the point is that there's always been a level of risk. The level of risk at the moment is much higher. Um, what we found as a whole is that GPs are GPs and doctors. This is not GPs. This is doctors, especially in a high hospital environment, um, are taking up the challenge, which I find so encouraging. Um, we, we're finding that you know doctors did medicine for a reason. They did medicine because they want to go out there and make a difference in the world. It's not just a business interest, and despite the fact that doctors, really radiologists, people are at, at risk on a daily basis, having to really sometimes, I mean, Dean's field particularly, if, you, if you're looking down someone's throat with a scope, you really are right in the airway of possibly a COVID patient. But we, we're putting in the measures, and we believe very strongly that if we look, do what we meant to do, our overall, um, our overall effect will be far greater than what our risk will be. Um, that said, I mean, on our group, we've had a couple of the doctors who've become positive, um, and we've seen it around the world that doctors are becoming positive, and I know that even Dean amongst his colleagues have had positive, you've had positive people. Sure. Um, and, and the thing is that, thankfully, with COVID, you, you know, 98% of people recover well from it. That's not a reason to be blase and say, well, I'll just hope I'm not in the 2%. Because 2% of a mortality rate is very high for a condition. But, you know, we have a positive attitude and say, well, if we get it, we'll deal with it and we'll be okay. Um, for me personally, I mean, I'm a type 1 diabetic. So so the question is, does diabetes, um, is diabetes a comorbidity? We know that it is. We also know that type 1 is not the primary issue in terms of comorbidity, and especially well-controlled type 1 diabetics. We are not worried about. I've had questions from parents as to if my child is a type 1 diabetic, can they go to school? I most definitely can go to school. Um, but, you know, these things play on one's mind. Like, you know, we, we, this is not a disease entity that's been out for years and we, we just have to do our part. Um, so, so, yeah, personally, I get home, I make sure that I, that I change my clothes, that I'm not... That, that, I, that I wear PPE while I'm at work very fastidiously, that I don't allow any of my patients to be risks to one another or to ourselves. So by coming into my rooms, you kind of know you're coming into a safe space, um, which then gives me reassurance for me and my family too. 
Um, and thankfully, my family is very supportive of this, and they, they're happy to stand by us in terms of what we're doing. So it is challenging, but it's also very, very rewarding. Um, you, you, when you feel as though you're helping people in their time of need and their time of crisis, it, it really helps you to see the meaning in, in your work. Yeah, I think it's uh, unprecedented times and uh, unprecedented times and challenging times. And uh, I think the biggest fear is the unknown. And often when we see history and we look at history, we know what the ending is. And the reason you're comfortable with this is because you never went through it and you can see the ending. But here we are living through history and we don't know the end of it. So it's a, it's a very, very scary time. And uh, there are many doctors who are taking strain. And people are taking strain. I think people need to know that their doctors are taking strain with them. So they need to support each other. And uh, we can, we're all responsible not only for ourselves, we're responsible for our communities as well. And uh, I think a lot of people feel that if they are only, they're saying, if I get it, I'll be fine. But they don't realize by them getting it, they're going to transmit it probably to their families and further on and on and on and on. And eventually it's going to affect someone who's not going to do so well with it. So, yeah, that's uh, my message to the people that don't just think about yourself and your family. Think about the community. Do, uh, Dr. Daniel, any closing words or final words or message you want to give to the listeners? So I just want to make a point on what, what I've seen with the collaboration of doctors, and this is both with GPs and specialists. Is a, a wonderful thing that's come out of this COVID time is that we've seen such a support between healthcare workers, and especially in the private sector where, where really people are running their own businesses, um, that I've never seen before. Uh, we've started an informal type of program on our GPs group where if one of the GPs actually becomes COVID positive or needs to go into isolation, where other GPs in the area will you know, see their patients for them and still keep the original GP involved on the phone with the patients directly. And there's just an example of how as healthcare workers, if we all support one another, um, we're more likely to get through this pandemic intact and doing well. And I'm very, that's my message probably to healthcare workers about how that's what we should be doing. In terms of patients or people, our community at large, I think it's important not to panic. This is not the time for feelings of, I'm going to get COVID and I'm going to die. That, that is not what we are looking at at all. We're looking at, we've been other pandemics in the world. And like you rightly said, each pandemic has its own trajectory. So we don't know how long this will last and we don't know how many people in the end will be affected. But we do know that, um, that, that pandemics are, even by definition, are over a period of time. And that period of time will come to an end. We as a nation have existed far beyond, um, any, um, crisis like this and we will get through this crisis and we're doing the responsible things that we're doing as a community we will make sure that the that the minority of people develop complications or are seriously affected by this and please god it will be a way in a way that that, that numbers will remain low in terms of complications and we will overcome this but it's about having the right positive engaged attitude in the world and at the same time maintaining the right portion so that you can engage in the world in a different way to how you normally engage with the idea that this will pass and you will re-engage in the world in your old way in time to come. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Daniel Israel.
This is the end of Discam Medical Monday, 101.9 High PM. Thank you for joining us. For those people who have missed, um, you can get the podcast on the website. Thank you, Dr. Daniel Israel, again for joining us. It's been a great hour. Stay home and stay safe and be careful. And we will see you next week at 10 a.m. Peace, God.